Welcome to Torah Today Ministries and our continuing series, Tehillim Talks, our studies in the Psalms. And in this episode, we find ourselves in Psalm 38. It's not a very happy psalm. In fact, Psalm 38 is the first of a quartet of psalms, 38, 39, 40, and 41, which need to be read together as a unit. Now, let me explain why this is. I'm going to begin with a, a question. Have you ever in your life, as I have, experienced God's anger, his severe disappointment in you? You did something really stupid. You really messed up. And not only do you sense that God is distant, but you almost feel like he's not coming back anytime soon. At least he's not going to allow his presence to be felt anytime soon. And in addition to that, you're suffering, maybe suffering illness or loss of a relationship or financial loss or any combination of the above and, and other things. But you know you've messed up. You know you're getting what you deserve. And you're just heartbroken. Because not only have you hurt other people, but you've hurt, you've hurt your Father in heaven. Well, tradition teaches that David composed Psalm 38, 39, 40, and 41 after his sin with Bathsheba, probably the lowest moment in his entire life, when he had brought upon his house and upon himself and upon his unborn child and upon his friends, his family, these horrible things. He brought disaster. He brought some, some lasting damage. And he, according to tradition again, he composed these four psalms. And Jewish tradition also teaches that these four psalms describe Israel's spiritual illness. But whatever the case, David is at a very low point. But if you find yourself at a low point, and you find yourself experiencing illness, fear, guilt, helplessness, loneliness, betrayal, danger, pain, depression, despair, I believe that God inspired David to compose these four psalms for you at a moment like this. Now, David calls this psalm a song, a mizmor. And though this is normally translated as psalm, a mizmor really means a song. And when you read this psalm, you'd think it should be a dirge. It should be a lament. But it's called a song. It's called a song for remembrance. Because when we are in at the very lowest, when we are in the pits... We need to remember that though we fail, God's love does not. Though we may break our covenant with him, he does not break his covenant with us. And though he may discipline us, because after all, this is what a father does if he truly loves his child. He does discipline because he loves. I want to share a quote with you from a, a rabbi known as the, the Kotzker Rebbe. He said, if an adult caresses a child, it does not indicate that the adult is his father. 
But if he slaps the youngster, you can be sure he is the father. Similarly, the divine retribution inflicted with the destruction of the temple was an indication of our Father's love for us. For this reason, the month is called Av. And what the Rebbe is referring to here, the greatest discipline that God brought to the Jewish people was the loss of their temple, twice. And in both cases, the loss of their temple happened in the month of Av. And Av is the word for father. And so as he says, if you see an adult embrace a child, he may or may not be the parent of that child. But if he slaps the child and disciplines the child, you know that he's the parent. And so if God is disciplining you right now, remember, it's proof that he is your father. Now, David has really messed up. And we can see this in the very first verse as it's worded in the Hebrew. He says, Adonai, rebuke me not in your, and in this case, the word is wrath. Now this phrase, Adonai, rebuke me not, is found twice in the Bible, both time in Psalms. The first time is back in Psalm 6, verse 1, and then the second time here in, in Psalm 38, verse 1. But the word used here, rebuke me not in your, and then the word that comes next is different. Back in chapter 6, verse 1, it's Adonai, rebuke me not in your off. Off is a word for nose, and when, and when someone's nose grows short, it's like their nostrils are flaring, they're, they're starting to fume. That's not the word used here. This time he says, Adonai, rebuke me not in your ketzef, which means your wrath. God isn't just fuming. He's not just angry. He is really, really angry. Now, God is nowhere in the Bible called an angry God. In fact, he is called uh, a happy God. In I believe it's in Romans. Paul refers to him as the blessed God. And the word for blessed there is the word for happy. But though he's never called an angry God, he is a God who is capable of anger. What loving person is? isn't capable of anger. And the only thing that makes God angry is when he sees us doing things that bring, brings harm to those he loves, whether that person is yourself or others. And when people are harming people that God loves, how could he not be angry? But we're told that his anger endures but for a moment. And yet that moment can seem like an eternity when you're in the middle of it. So David is really messed up here, and he's ill because of it. So let's get right into the psalm. Now, in this psalm, I'm not going to be getting into a lot of the Hebrew details. I just sense this as we go through this. It's the meditation on the psalm and the message of the psalm, and just the surface of what it's saying is what needs to impact us. So let's go through. Adonai, rebuke me not in your wrath nor discipline me in your heat or your fury, your chema. For your arrows have come down on me, and your hand has come down on me. There is no shalom in my flesh because of your indignation, no peace in my bones because of my sin. Now, 
when it, a man refers to his bones, that can also be an allusion to his wife. That's just a Hebrew idiom. And whether that's how David intends it here or not, I don't know. But I know that when we suffer, our spouses also suffer. There's no peace in my flesh because of your indignation, no peace in my bones because of my sin. So I think we can see here there's definitely disease that David is experiencing. Verse 4, for my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. When he says they've gone over my head, the, the language is like I'm a drowning man. I can't get any air. And what is he drowning in? His iniquities are like waves going over his head. He feels like he's just drowning and cannot catch his breath. They're just too heavy for me. So this is an expression of guilt. Verse 5, my wounds stink and fester because of my foolishness. In other words, I'm suffering out of my own fault, not because of anybody else. I am utterly bowed down and prostrate. All the day I go about mourning. This guy's depressed. He is in the depths of depression. For my sides are filled with burning and there's no soundness in my flesh. So his sides are burning. He's just, there's something going on. And he's in intense pain, physical pain. I am feeble and crushed. I roar because of the groaning of my heart. The groaning of the heart is an expression of despair. He just can hardly see any hope at all. But as we go to verse 9, he calls God his master. His master. When David does this, he's saying, I'm not addressing you as a father right now. I'm not even addressing you exactly as my, my God, as the lover of my soul, but as a master is addressed by his servant. Just look me at, at me as a servant who, who, who failed to obey you. I didn't do what you asked. I messed up. Have mercy on me and give me another chance. Master, all my longing is before you and my sighing is not hidden from you. My heart throbs, so his heart is just racing. He's fearful. My strength fails me and the light of my eyes. It also has gone from me. My friends and companions stand aloof from my plague, and my nearest kin stand far off. He's loneliness. He's experiencing loneliness. Those who seek my life lay their snares. So his enemies, they're rejoicing, and he's in a place of real danger. They see him as like a wounded lion. It's like, this is our chance to attack. This is our chance to put an end to him. Those who seek my life lay their snares. He's in danger. Those who seek my hurt speak of ruin and meditate treachery all day long. And so betrayal is just right around the corner. But I am like a deaf man. I do not hear. Like a mute man who does not open his mouth. In other words, these things are going on, but I don't even have the energy to cry out. It's almost like I don't really care. Let them do to me what they want 
and put me out of this misery. I have become like a man who does not hear and in whose mouth are no rebukes. It's just a helplessness. There's no, I'm not in a position to tell them that what they're doing to me is wrong. If they want to murder me, let them murder me. If they want to, uh, to, 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 to speak evil against me and falsehoods, I don't care. I deserve them. This is a low, low, low point in David's life. But I thank God that God inspired him to describe it in a way that only David could. And uh, because there's probably a time, if you haven't experienced yet, you probably will, that these words can become yours. But in verse 15, there's still a little spark of hope. There's still a little spark of life. And it's that that David is holding close. And he says, For in you, Adonai, I have hoped. Now that word for hoped is the word that uh, is not the typical word for hope, like tikva. But it's the word that's, it's the word yachal, which is uh, first found back in Genesis when Noah took the dove and let it go from the ark. And then it says he yachaled, he waited. He didn't know if the dove would come back. He didn't know if the dove would have a message like the olive branch it eventually came back with or come back empty beaked. He didn't know what would happen, but he just waited. He had no idea what the outcome would be. But he just waited. He waited expectantly. For in you, Adonai, I have hoped. It is you, O Master, my God, who will answer me. For I said, Only let them not rejoice over me, who boast against me when my foot slips. For I am ready to fall, and my pain is ever before me. It's almost like this little flare-up of hope, this little flare-up of calling out to God, there's this one thing in David that seems it's still alive and still flickering, and that is this. God, if I go down in shame, it'll bring your name down in shame as well. So there's this hope that somehow, for the sake of your name, the sake of your reputation and your testimony, you'll do something to to protect your own character and to not diminish your glory. But we'll pick it up in 17. For I am ready to fall, and my pain is ever before me. I confess my iniquity. I am sorry for my sin. But the enemies of my life are mighty, and many are those who hate me wrongfully. Those who render me evil for good accuse me because I follow after good. Do not forsake me, O Adonai. O my God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Master of my Yeshua, my salvation. So he's just calling out in utter helplessness. Because there's something in David that knows that even his own failures, even his own rebellion, his own sin, his own failings, are not too big for God. And I think one of the things the enemy likes to tempt us with is that your sin is so great, God can't help you. 
Your sin is so great, so much greater than anyone else's, that you are a lost cause. David knew that wasn't true. You need to know that that is not true. When we say such things, that our sin is just too great for God's salvation, that's our own pride and ego expressing itself. Who are you to think that your sin is so great that the redemption of Yeshua can't cover it? What makes you so much greater in your sin than anyone else who's ever lived? God's not threatened by your sin. Your sin is not so big that His grace won't cover it. That His grace cannot restore you. So don't believe the lies of the enemy that you're just worse than anybody else. The chief of sinners, the scriptures tell us, was Paul. And yet look what God did with him. So if God can do that with the chief of sinners, you and I are small potatoes. God can do big things with you and me as well. So don't diminish God by saying that your sin is greater than him. It isn't. He foresaw your sin and failings before you were even born. And he brought you into existence anyway. Because you are a good idea. You were worth bringing into the world and giving life to and sustaining. You're worth something to him. And he knows that the world needs you. He's not done with you yet. So get over yourself. Quit amplifying your sin. And instead, like David, take a breath and begin to express your hope in God that he's not done with you yet. And if there's something, even of your failings, that make you more usable to him. Because after all, it's our failings that humble us, that break us. And God can only use broken things. So if your sin crushes you and breaks you, then praise God. He's making you more usable in this world. For his glory, for your reward, and for the tikkun olam the repair of the world. So again, let's look at the list of 10 things that this psalm expresses. And if you have any one or all 10 of the things on this list, this psalm is for you. But remember, go on and read Psalm 39 and 40 and 41. And I look forward to meeting back here with you in Psalm 39 and, and the other two psalms because these four when you get to the end of these four, we get such a wonderful and amazing picture of God's redemptive power in our lives. So until then, I wish you shalom. May God bless. Thank you for joining us for today's teaching. If the work of Torah Today Ministries has touched your life, please consider making a donation or sponsoring an upcoming video. As a video sponsor, you'll have an exclusive opportunity to memorialize a family member, celebrate a special event, or simply support the ongoing creation of similar content. Your tax-deductible contribution helps ensure that our teachings continue to reach all who are longing for truth. Click the link or visit our website to learn more.
the end.